What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, your one-stop shop for all things sports, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I'm your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. founder numero uno, and I'm joined at the table here with the famous JB. JB, what's going on, man? J-Mac, we have entered the heat of summer. My word, can we... I mean, I'm sweating sitting down here. It is... Uh, I'm not sure if it's because of all the sports going on right now or if it's just the heat, but my goodness... I can't get away from it right now, I swear. It's hell here in Texas. It really is. Like, this is the most brutal time of the year. Car can't get cool. You can't, I mean, I feel like I walk into work sweating. I leave sweating. I mean, I almost need to bring a change of clothes and take a shower at lunch, I guess. I'm not I'm not sure what's going on. I know. But it, it's also nice for, like, a good night out at the ballpark. Like, those kinds of things are underrated about Texas. Like, the, the heat definitely sucks. But if you're outside at, like, 9 o'clock, you know, at a, oh. a Rangers versus Astros game, that's just a blast. It's it's nice and breezy. It's, it's, you know, there's definitely worse things to deal with. Like, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for uh, shoveling snow for anything. Oh, not at all. You can jump in a pool and be just fine during the day, and the, the night times are beautiful for baseball. And, uh, you know, for those who don't know, the Texas Rangers are building a brand-new ballpark that's going to be kind of similar to what the Astros use a lot of these teams in this heat with the retractable roof. So uh, for those planning maybe a trip out next year around baseball, be looking for definitely the Texas Rangers, beautiful ballpark. You know, it's still going to be right in Arlington next to Jerry World and Cowboys Stadium. And I know yourself, you've been out to the Texas Live area. they got some beautiful restaurants. So uh, maybe for those looking for a, a quick trip, maybe uh, Arlington, Texas, Right near Fort Worth could be your next stop. There you go. Go figure, right? Just growing, growing, growing. That, that's it. So I'm I'm excited. We'll we'll get a trip out there, I'm sure. And oh yeah. Uh, Do you, you think you that- know, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting? I, I haven't seen a new ballpark in Texas for a while now. So this it's gonna be weird to not go to Globe Life. This, it, this is what we're at Globe Life Park, Park right now. Correct. And they're calling it Globe Life Field. Yeah, which is like a big switch. Yeah, it does seem like not a huge switch, but I'm actually kind of a fan of it because I'm glad they didn't just take the name off the old one, even though uh, like it's a shitty thing, right? So they've sold the the rights to that ballpark several times. Like AmeriQuest owned it when I first lived here. You yep. know, it's it's been like all, all kinds of different things, but it's always been referred to as the ballpark in Arlington. And so I'm right. kind of glad that they've gone with something that's a little bit different, even though... Because like you're kind of saying goodbye to the ballpark at Arlington. I mean, is that fair? Does it feel that way? Yeah, you know, obviously, I think it'd be a little different if they could have closed out one of those World Series. I mean, sure. anytime you close a ballpark where a championship was won or a championship team played there, you know, I think there's more sentiment to it. Um, you know, I think there was still a lot of success, a lot of great players that came through and you know, Adrian Beltre, you know, having a lot of historic moments there. So I think there is still a lot of value to the players in that. Um, obviously not a lot of value to Arlington since uh, when <laughs> this is totally off topic, when Amazon was looking to build their second headquarters, the city of Arlington offered them the, the ballpark, ballpark. <laughs> as part of their bid where, I, I mean, you just had to laugh. I'm sure if you're an executive going, what would we do with a ballpark? But I do um, think it was like a package where it was like we'll renovate it out, and basically they would were going to gut it and like make the offices within that setting, which would actually be pretty cool, but it would probably cost way more than it was ever worth. Right, and for the sports fans wondering, hey, what's going to happen? Because I think that is a great question with these, you know, stadiums or ballparks that go by the wayside. 
the XFL team, you know, the XFL Dallas franchise will actually be playing in Globe Life Park. Which you so, and I will be attending every game of. Bob Stoops, big, big game Bob, That's will right. be the head coach of the XFL <laughs> Dallas franchise playing right there in Arlington, rivaling Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. So we've uh, got to make a lot some to big- do in Arlington. Absolutely, dude. We've got to make some big game Bob shirts for these XFL games. I mean, I think that's priority one. I, I, hey, I'm excited for the XFL. Anytime you can give me more football um, on a positive note where you won't fold up the league, that's of interest to us. So we're, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly dive deeper into that at a later date. But um, just some tidbits for fans out there wondering uh, with the relocations, what's going on. Do you think the Rangers needed a new ballpark? I think they did from a standpoint of, and this is at a greater level, and you can take a look at teams, you know, such as the Rays that play inside of a dome, you know, whether players want to admit to it or not, you know, Oakland's another example, you know, the quality of life for these players is huge and playing outdoors and hundred plus degrees for, you know, a large part of the season is a detractor, I think, for a lot of players as well as playing in, you know, cement city out there in Oakland. Right. You know, there that's been obviously very publicized through the money or the movie Hardball and the book and just of how horrible the nature is to play there with the football team as well. But I think this gives an added element to maybe attract some great. It's kind of like recruiting at the college level. It is. Um, but, uh, you know, players don't necessarily speak about it as much. But when you look in the underline, I think it does have a, a greater effect than maybe we want to give credit to. It's funny. We we kind of been talking about this a little bit on the basketball show, but it kind of is trans transparent across like all sports. I think now is just we talk about the player empowerment era and all that. But I think like these guys are just smarter and they want to go somewhere where they have a chance to be competitive and where they can win that has nice facilities and that put money back into the organization that shows that the the ownership wants to win. And I think that's what this does for the Rangers in a lot of ways. Is it like, I mean, it's miserable to go out there in July though. Like it's great to be out there at like eight or nine o'clock at night. Like we were talking about, but man, you go out there for a Sunday day game. You will fry. Oh yeah. You better sit down the right field line in rows like 30 through 40 of the lower bowl yeah because if not to your point you are uh, if you get up from that seat you come back so yeah i think from uh you know did it the stadium alone was it quality yeah absolutely they, they did a lot of renov- renov- uh, renovations to that stadium but from the standpoint of a fan experience and a player experience overall i i think this will be a positive note and uh, glad they're able to get it done. There's plenty of franchises, you know, including the Rays, as we already mentioned, who have had trouble, you know, raising that popularity or capital to, you know, step up and get the new stadium that would be needed. Absolutely. And I mean, I look at it from like my standpoint where like I don't go to many Rangers games because I just don't really care. Like I, I it's cool to see them play other teams, but I mean, they're a lot of times just the same teams. It's your divisional teams and all that. And so. I just I don't get out there that often. I, I enjoy going. I, I don't live very far from it, but it's still just I, I I don't care enough to go out there to sit in the heat because I'm not really gonna pull against the Rangers because I don't like I don't mind the Rangers. They you know, they're fine. Like I they're a preferable team to me uh, over a lot of others, I'll say that. But like sure. 
I, I'm not really going to go pull for the Astros, and I'm damn sure not going to go out there and sit in the heat to do either. So it's one of those things, like, from my standpoint, like, other than whenever the Red Sox roll through here, I don't really care, but whenever they do, I don't want to die in the heat out there. So I would much rather have a nicer indoor ballpark. And I mean, I think anybody would say that, but it's just more appealing to me and it will probably get me to go to some of those games that I probably wouldn't necessarily go to. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that the overall fan experience, as we mentioned, I think that'll right. be a, a key, a leading indicator for them here. There's a book. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but I'm, I'm going to get it to you and I'm going to tweet it out from our accounts and I'll bring it back on the show next week just so I don't forget. Uh, it's by Jonah Carey. I just can't remember what the, the title of it specifically is, but it's about the Rays and how whenever they were first started as an organization, they had a, a, a owner that essentially believed in just cost cutting to the maximum to the point where they had like days where, so they're in Tampa Bay where, you know, a lot of retired folks are down in Florida and it has basic, they basically would have like, you know, old folks home days and, you know, they get discounts on tickets and they'd all come out and get to see the hometown baseball team. But the thing is they would get there and the ushers were such Nazis about not bringing in outside food that they wouldn't let some of these older folks who needed like, you know, a little bit of food to take with their diabetes medicine or whatever. They wouldn't let them bring some peanuts in. They had to buy them there. And it turned into this whole big PR scandal. And it just there was one thing after another like that where the people try to save money on something. And it just shows you how disastrous that is when an organization does that. It just you can't operate a sports franchise anymore and be cheap. I just there's no way around it. Nope, you, you, you can't. It's all about the fan experience. And it's really going back to, you know, the comfortability at home and, you know, the quality of, you know, the production quality that we now have between all sports. So the other thing, too, is like and, and then I'm interested what, to know what you think here, because it feels like of all major sports, baseball is ownership is probably the most concerned with how can we put the best team on the field, but also line our pockets the most. They're not thinking right. they're trying to line their pockets with money they're making off the franchise as opposed to growing their franchise as an asset. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I think obviously in a, you know, a sport where you're having 81 home games a year, uh, that's a, you know, a top of mind concern, you know, NFL's never had an issue selling out, you know, you got eight right. regular season games. So that's I think point. it makes sense from the, the baseball nature. And to your point, a lot, a lot of teams have struggled with, you know, the outdoors and how that plays a factor. And, um, you know, it, it's disappointing to see, but at the end of the day, money's always going to rule. So they're looking for those ways of how, how can we make the most money at the end of the day? I mean, that's all it comes down to. I mean, that that is a good point, but it just feels like they don't invest back into the sport at all and that the sport suffers because of it. Yeah. Well, well I guess we just got to buy a team and change it at this I, point. That's the only plan. I mean, that's that's really all we can do. So we'll, the we'll only on logical option. It would be fun to own like a single A team or something like that, just because you have less eyes on you, but it's still like the gritty lower levels of baseball. It'd be a lot of fun. Oh, man, you know, I had a listener who you know, texted me. He's at a minor league game. I, I forget the affiliate, but a guy in front of him, he's sitting second row, which is always great about the minor league games. You can go to – you could sit wherever you want, so close. So cheap. Dude. And the guy had, like, a set of pliers with him, a baseball glove. Someone was clipping their toenails. I mean, oh. the things that go on at <laughs> minor league baseball games – 
And the in-between inning entertainment is fascinating because it's all these college interns there trying to, you know, break into the industry doing random things. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, the entertainment of the – that's the best part is the between innings entertainment. It's no, oh, not even close. It's that or the $2 beers that they'll entice you with on a Wednesday night. One of the two. I don't know which. The uh, the Frisco Rough Riders, they're the AA affiliate of the Texas Rangers. They have a lazy river, like a figure eight lazy river in the outfield, which is incredible. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, that rivals, you know, was the Diamondbacks used to have the, the hot tubs or whatever in the pool yep. that the Dodgers celebrated it and. Uh, that whole debacle a few years ago. I, I forgot mean, about it, that. Yeah, yeah, that was such a, a weird plot line that kind of got overshadowed by the overall series. But yeah, that was weird. <laughs> the, uh, you just have to love it, man. Uh, anything to get fans of the game. And, you know, when you celebrate big, I guess if there's a pool around, go jump in it. But like, ultimately, doesn't that make you more money whenever the fans are just so rabid that they're willing to spend hundreds of dollars on merchandise and tickets to these games and you know all this stuff like it just feels like that's a missed opportunity that it feels like some baseball owners get that but not all of them yeah and that that's going to be any industry you're always going to have those folks who understand what the fans need and and don't so i think to your point it'll be interesting to see how that develops especially with a new stadium yeah, you know like, what, what they do different moving kind of with the indoor option i mean you've been to uh, Minute Maid down in in Houston, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fine stadium. It's a great experience overall. I mean, it's yeah. humid as shit in there, but that's Houston for you. I mean, that's just yeah, you're gonna deal with that in Houston. You know, anywhere near large bodies of water like that in the summer. So right, um, you're, you're, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Well, speaking of kind of, we are talking about the player empowerment thing and all that, and just something that has kind of taken shape as far as narrative already and you and I were actually bantering about this on Twitter a little bit this morning I saw that Rachel Nichols is already starting to question Anthony Davis about whether he's going to resign in Los Angeles and it just man like you know me I I don't pull for the Lakers in any way shape or form I'm from Boston that just doesn't make any sense I, I just I live to see them stumble all over themselves however this is incredibly unfair to Anthony Davis to start this shit on him. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I think you had a great point. You know, we've talked about the NBA and this possibility for a while now. And, and you had brought up the Lakers really needing to not necessarily finalize an extension with the trade, but really make sure that you knew that was coming. Um, because right. obviously, you know, giving up that many players and picks and then not getting in return <laughs> the extension what, the extension i mean you, you know this this isn't necessarily a win now team i mean sure they have that ability but this isn't a team that you're going hey we're going all for one year this is a hey you know rest of lebron's years rest of ad's years so i guess it's interesting that he would really when he is proposed the question be so dismissive of the fact that he's not necessarily planning to I mean, he didn't go one way or the other, but I, I'm just shocked. One that the questions, to your point, are already starting. He hasn't played a game yet. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it hadn't he, right. I hadn't even really put a uniform on technically yet. Yeah. I, I mean, does he? Have we figured out that number situation still? I mean, no, yeah. So dude, it's really confusing. Um, I just think like so. We were talking about this on Twitter this morning, and 
I compared it to Kyrie, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I compared it to Kyrie. Now, I want to preface this with saying Kyrie Irving ran himself out of town. Like, he, no doubt about yeah. it. It was to his own doing. He wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be a leader. He's not that guy. He didn't know how to handle it. At times he was great. There were times where he was not. It just overall, it was not a. It was a roller coaster ride for eight months. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Boston, Kyrie. That that. It, before you go into that, I I want to headline. I don't think it helped that Boston did have success without him on the court. Because that was a popular narrative. Was look, it's about the same, you know, number of points, you know, it's a a better record, you know, as a player that does, you know, if someone's telling you, Hey, you know, if you don't show up to work, we're still doing the same without you, but we want you to resign your, it's kind of messing with your head. It definitely is. And, and, but they gave him the opportunity to kind of come back in and and gave him the reins and everything. And like, at first he handled that fine. It, It wasn't any big deal, but I mean, Jalen Brown fucking hates him now. I mean, that that relationship soured so quickly. And, I mean, same thing with Rozier. Same thing with, I mean, a lot of those guys on that team. But I'll say this. I mean, they it, this was the exact same thing that happened to Kyrie last year that's happening to Anthony Davis right now, where they started ta- asking him this question. And it's a reasonable question, right? I mean, I think, right. to your point, whenever you trade that amount of assets... You, it's with the understanding that he's going to be there, and he's going to be there. I mean, it's like a 4% chance he leaves, I, I would say. I mean, things have to okay. go really, really wrong for him to leave. I mean, I think it's with the understanding that he's going to be there. Okay. It's got to be. Okay, we can operate, we can operate that. I, I would think so, anyway. I mean, maybe it's we can debate that another time, but regardless, like, I would imagine that he's going to be there because, I mean, he's going to be the post-LeBron guy. So all that to be said, as soon as Kyrie walked in, you know, it was the questions. Are you planning on re-signing here? At the season ticket holder event, he was on the microphone at the Garden talking to the season ticket holders and said, if you will have me, I would love to re-sign here with the Celtics. He could not have been more clear. And right. the thing what we have to remember is, like, these guys, and they get paid millions of dollars. So I understand that, okay, while they live their lives every second with a camera in their face, they don't do anything without being videoed and you know speculated on or anything i mean that that is brutal but and and they get paid millions of dollars to do that so that's the trade-off you get i mean is that fair yeah yeah you get paid to deal with that spotlight absolutely right so every single second no like these guys are human beings too like we don't all wake up in the morning with just a great the same attitude every day like we you know like overall like we wake up sometimes and we're we're exhausted still. Sometimes we wake up and we've got a ton of energy. It's just every day humans wake up differently and, and operate throughout their day differently and are dealing with different things and all that. Right. I mean, is that fair too? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're never going to be the same every day. <laughs> right. That's and, for sure. And so whenever those questions are being asked of you and you're going through the season and you're going through lows and highs and lows, I mean, they just never could really turn the corner and you're asked every game, every single loss you have, every mistake you make, are you planning on re-signing here in Boston? And when you've already been as plainly clear as you can be that, yes, I will be back here, which Anthony Davis has not done yet, but, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to right now. But sure, whenever you're crystal clear with, I want to re-sign here, and it keeps on coming up, and it's like, I don't know how to be more clear here. And at some point, like, we're all human, where you just give up. And you get tired of being asked and you get tired of running through that again because not every single 
accidental dribble off the foot out of bounds means that you don't want to resign with the Celtics. It's something that really pissed me off overall. And I just, I like Kyrie didn't help himself, but that narrative didn't help him either. And that's what I hate to see happen to Anthony Davis here. Yeah. And I'll say two things on this front. We had the same situation with Kawhi Leonard. He was brought in for a lot of assets and to your point, everyone's different. He is he has the ability to handle that question and handle that on a daily basis and set from the precedent. And some people can't operate that way. And so good for him. Uh, that just builds onto the point there's said everyone is different. Now I'll flip back to Anthony Davis and why I think he's maybe being a little non-committal here. And not that he's saying he's not resigning there, as we've mentioned. But when you take a look at the free agent class for next year, there's no one headlining it like we no had way. this year or two years from now. Right. So if you are Anthony Davis, you go, hey, I'm probably going to resign here, but I don't have a rush. I don't know what's going to happen with LeBron. I want to see how this roster works. I want to see who's coming in next year. It, it also does make sense to me from that standpoint. What's best for him? What's best for him as a player in his career is probably to wait it out and go, hey, I want to be winded dine. You know, hey, LeBron, you got winded dine to the Lakers to come here. Hey, Kawhi got winded. I, I want to get that. You know, the, everyone wants that same experience from that standpoint. So I don't fault him for it. Sure. But to build off your point, if they continue to do this all season, it could be a situation where it pushes them out the door. So they want to be careful with that. But I do understand from a player's standpoint, when you're looking at, hey, I'm going to be the guy in this free agent class I trust my health. I feel strong about that. You're willing to bet on yourself. And, you know, that's kind of what we saw with Boogie Cousins. He didn't, you know, he could have signed that max extensions with the Kings or the Pelicans, chose not to bet on himself. It didn't work. So you got to take that risk as a player. We're seeing Anthony Davis do that. So I, I don't have a problem with what he's doing. You know, he, he didn't ask, you, you know, hey, you only trade for me if you're going to give me the max. So, I'm going to be intrigued to see how he handles the LA media. Someone, you know, he did play college basketball at Kentucky with John Calipari. He's certainly used to being in the spotlight. So, um, but I, I would be careful to see how far they push those buttons, especially if the season doesn't go right. For sure. And we've talked about that too, where they have so little room. The Lakers have so little room for error here. And they really have to, I mean, They've done a good job putting pieces together. I'll give them that. I don't think it's going to work, yeah. but I, I they've done an okay job. It's it's they they've done fine with the what room they've had to work with. They're lucky that they're the Los Angeles Lakers. That LeBron and Anthony Davis are there. That's all I can say. Yeah, they have certainly brought in quality guys for having you know basically no cap room, right. um, and a lot better than we necessarily you know a couple weeks or when the trade happened thought that they would. So we got to give them credit for that because. Teams like the Knicks, teams you know like necessarily Toronto, who missed out on bringing that big fish in or back, didn't really have that ability to go out and attract those quality guys. So, and, and certainly there's still moves to be made. You know, guys like Andre Iguodala is still out there to be moved. You know, there's still certain players that have that ability to help the team. But I think to your point, they built out at least a decent roster with some quality depth, and I would expect LeBron to probably play between you know. 65 and 70 games this year just from a load management so you're going to need that depth he's going to have to and I mean I think he realizes that 
This is it, probably. Like, this is the the most likely year they could do this. Other than that, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I so gave it a 7% it, chance that he'd win a ring there, and I stand by that. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think there's such a low chance, ultimately, because, dude, the thing is, by the time we get to the end of this season, he's going to have played over 60,000 minutes. There's no way the body's going to hold up that long, and whenever something goes wrong with him, it's going to be fast because he's so goddamn gifted and athletic. But... That only lasts for so long. Right. And, and I mean, we're not taking away anything from him. He not is at a all. fantastic player, an incredible career, but time does catch up, especially in a sport where it's built specifically around being explosive. And a lot of his game is, you know, beating guys off. Um, I, who knows if he's still at that high level. And, you know, now coming back where he does have another, you know, star to play with, we could see a little resurgence. But, I don't think people, to your point, should expect you know the LeBron of 2015. Right, and I I don't even know if that really is the expectation anymore. And it, like like you said, I think it's really important to highlight this that it is not to shit on him by any means. He's just human. Like that's just how it happens. Like nobody is able to play the game forever. Like I, there are so few people like Nolan Ryan in the world that I just I don't you know it's kind of hard to deal with. And even that's well, yeah. very specific. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's. You know, you're not relating it because we're not there yet. But you know, Michael Jordan played for the Wizards and was not Michael Jordan. No. So at some point, that happens. Exactly, it happens to everybody. So like, that's not to fault him, and it's not to take away from him. So I mean, I don't. I he's still a little young. I I still think that he could potentially, especially with load management and everything, and, and just keeping such a close eye on the his body the way he does that. He, he could have a pretty good, healthy season this year because overall he's always been pretty injury-free. And I, I don't anticipate them to push it necessarily because I don't think they're going to necessarily have to. I, I don't think so. No, I mean, he, as you mentioned, he, he's still in his mid-30s. He's 34 years old. So this isn't a guy that's, you know, pushing, <laughs> you know, 40s like Tom Brady. But Right, but I mean, um, over 60,000 minutes is, is uh, second all-time under wilt so i mean that's i mean regardless it does that numbers don't stack in his favor and to your point earlier like one bad injury of his happens like it just did to kevin durant and anthony davis is suddenly looking at a team that's got rajon rondo and you know a bunch of old guys on it and nothing to build with in the future and you got to question that a little bit. And if you're wined and dined and the right things are said and, you know, Dallas comes knocking on your door or whatever, you know, you can, you know, you should be able to entertain that. And I think that's a smart move. That's Rich Paul at his finest, I think. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, to wrap it up, to circle pack, we, we definitely see what Anthony Davis is doing. We're just being wary of the L.A. media and how they treat the situation. Yeah, just don't grind him into the ground. Like, I... I don't really like the guy that much. He's a great, gifted player. He's amazing. I just I don't care for him specifically. I don't like how he's handled his business. And you know, it is what it is. I, I respect the hell out of his game, though. But I just he he doesn't even deserve that. No player deserves to be shit on like that. And it just, dude, it was rough to watch. Like Kyrie just couldn't answer that question any differently than he did. Like he he just couldn't. Like there's only so many ways you can say yeah I want to be here until you're just like okay why would I why do I want to be here again. You know, especially when the team isn't right. clicking. So yep. there's a lot of those things in play. I don't want to see that happen to the guy because I think ultimately he's probably going to be a Laker for life is my guess at this point. But, you know, we'll see. 
Because, I mean, yeah. even if LeBron retires, you know, I mean, that's not even necessarily means that he would walk because, I mean, he'd still have the keys to the team. So. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. So it's um, I'm excited for it. I like the NBA drama. I, I think it's created more buzz than we've seen. I agree with uh, so Chris Paul being traded from the Rockets to OKC in exchange for Russell Westbrook. What do you think of this trade? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about it, and I guess from my standpoint, you compare. It's easy to compare the Paul George trade, um, and you go, "Wow, you know they got a lot less, <laughs> um, you, you know, for Russell Westbrook compared to Paul George." Uh, and I think that more attributes to the fact that the Clippers were trading not just those picks and players for Paul George, but for Kawhi, because Kawhi wasn't happening without Paul George. So you right. got to kind of look at it from that standpoint. Now, bringing in CP3, they do bring in two first-round picks and two swaps, and uh, where I think we agree is the value of the swaps. You yeah. know, this is a Houston team. I think the swaps are in 2024 and 2026, you know, somewhere, you know, four or five-plus years from now. Right. And you, you look at, well, if this rebuild goes the way OKC thinks it will, you know, four or five years from now, this could be a team with, you know, two young stars, budding talent, and Houston will probably be in a place where, you know, maybe Russell or James Harden's not even on the roster and probably not that competitive. Yeah. So um, you're looking at a situation where if this trade goes how OKC hopes it does, they'll be in a spot where they're, you know, a playoff contender and, and you know, a handful from years from now. And their hope is oh, Houston's a bottom five lottery pick and they get, you know, they're suddenly a team similar to how Boston's been with the picks they've accumulated, you know, from Brooklyn, uh, where they're a competitive team, but then still bringing in top young talent. Right. So I think we both agree that we love the Hall for OKC. I don't love the fact when you look at, you know, a handful of years ago, you had KD, Russ, and Harden, and now none of them are there. That's some mismanagement somewhere. But a overall, bit. I, I don't think you could have kept Kevin Durant from leaving, though. Yeah. I'm just looking at it from, you know, a larger point of yeah. view. How do you have no one left a handful of years later? Out and no of, championship. You know, yeah, I mean, three top players in the NBA, and, you know, you play the Heat in the championship. You know, that that didn't go their way, obviously, but you looked at a team that had a, a strong nucleus, and um, it, it's feel bad for OKC. You know, that's a that's a city that only has them and some minor league baseball teams. So, I mean, yeah. you, you feel bad for cities like that because they certainly do worship these teams. It's it's an argument for another day, but I I'm a strong proponent of the fact that they should have stayed in Seattle, but that's we'll we'll get into that another day. Fair enough. Yeah, because it's that's a long conversation. It's very interesting with detail involving Starbucks and all kinds of shit. So there's lots to be. Of course, there. Starbucks. Starbucks wedges his way into everything, but yeah, man, it's there's still. I just I feel like for me, Houston got better i don't know how much better it's gonna be more entertaining to watch i know that and i i i think we'll really see whether russell westbrook is a selfish player or not this is gonna tell us sure this is yeah, definitely I, gonna I, tell us because if this doesn't work i they played together before so i don't see that being the case but if this doesn't work it will be it'll be a disaster if it doesn't work but i think it'll be fine well you know a clip that surfaced was uh, James Harden in an interview, post game interview, the uh, last year, and you know everyone's questioning him. You know how are you guys going to make this work? How are you guys going to make this work? And he comments, "Oh, we'll 
we'll get it done in the off season. I know it needs to be done. Something of that nature. And, you know, everyone's going, Oh, he knew they were going to trade for, you know, Russell Westbrook. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but you know, I, I think people who tend to go on the wayside of go, these players don't talk about teaming up. They don't have this plan, you know, or naive to the fact that this probably goes on a lot more than we realize. And the bickering between CP three and James Harden, the relationship you mentioned of Russ and Harden in the past, I think played a large hand of this. And I've got to say, this is more than likely, this was probably their goal uh, was hoping to see Paul George leave. And then this kind of falling into place. Do you, so, I mean, they accumulated over the, since the NBA draft, eight first round picks. That's impressive. That's incredibly impressive. Yeah. It's a lot of picks and just in their own right, this is a franchise that probably at least at a minimum, the next two to three years is going to have, you know, a a top pick. So, I mean, are uh, they going to be that bad though? I mean, if Chris Paul plays there, I mean, you're, you're really swapping age and contracts here. You're not really, I mean, it's, not the same player necessarily, but not a worse player all the way around. I mean, I mean Chris Paul's old, and it's it's showing, and that's sad. But like, he's he's still not clutch. Like we've seen that. Yeah, well, he he brings his game's very different than what Russell Westbrook, and yeah, I guess but, I, I'm not sure where he ends up if he does stay in OKC. I just can't see that being a happy marriage at all. Um, yeah, he's played there before, though, whenever he played for the Pelicans and they were playing there during the hurricane. So, I mean, it's not like that's unfamiliar to him. And it's not like he well, hasn't played in Oklahoma City uniform before. But they're, it's more, I, 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 what I ultimately think is going to happen, they're going to move him. And I think it's going to be to somewhere like Miami. Yeah, and that's been the rumor. I think they'll find a way to get it done. But it is a big contract. There's got to be. You know, th- that's not an easy thing to do overnight. So I think they're taking their time. They'll reevaluate it. But a-, a lot of movement in the NBA. We've had a lot of fun tracking it. Hopefully you guys have, you know, hopefully your favorite team or the team you follow made the right moves. But it- it's been an incredible offseason for the NBA. It has. It has. It's winding down. Things are going to be pretty quiet for a little while. So, you know, that's um, we'll be doing fun stuff on the basketball show, but aside from that, there's just not going to be a whole lot going on NBA wise until things get going in September and October. So, um, you know, I was looking at the calendar before we came in here, 51 days to football season. Typically I lead that off at the beginning of the show, but, uh, I, again, we say it every, we say it every week. I couldn't be more excited for regular season football. 51 days. And, you know, if you're on Twitter, the big chatter between, you know, players and uh, these talking heads, the, the Madden ratings came out, you know, the yeah. how they rate the players. And uh, every, every year players feel disrespected, you know, like Taylor Gabriel's on there saying he could do 18 reps of 225 pounds. Why isn't his strength up? I mean, you just, I almost get a kick out of it. I don't know why these players care. I, I'm guessing it's more for entertainment and fun, but um, you know, Madden coming out kind of is, I think, that official start, uh, you know, sort of getting into that NFL buzz because there's not too many sports going on. But, yeah, I mean, 51 days, that, that's incredible. It's it, it's felt like a shorter offseason than normal. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we had such an incredible NFL season last year. Um, but it, it seems like it hasn't necessarily been as long as normal for whatever reason. That's very true. I, I definitely feel that way, but I'm I'm ready for it to be back. I'm ready for regular season. I hate preseason. Did, so did the players or the owners try to get an 18-week 
schedule passed this week. Is that did I read that correctly this morning? Uh, so yeah, you saw that. You know, every year for those of you maybe just skip over this. It's you know NFL offseason is long, so it's easy to miss everything. You know the owners' meetings they do rule proposals. You know coaches' meetings they do this. You know probably one of the more recent one was when Bill Belichick proposed to move the extra point back. You know that was a big change. Uh, which I thought was great. You know, I, I love when there's logical proposals like that. And uh, a recent one, which I think uh, just a head scratcher to everyone, was to make it an 18-game NFL regular season, which I do agree with, but not in the way that they proposed it. Uh, but players can only play in 16 games. And that just seems messy from injury standpoint, from you know a load management. I'm not sure how that works out for players. So you're building in an, a couple of extra bye weeks. Is that what you're doing? Uh, that would be my guess. Uh, you know, my always thought with this was I was fine with 18 games. You just remove the preseason down to one game, basically. I mean, the preseason in itself is just an opportunity for fringe guys really to, you know, make a team to figure out who you got. So, um, moving but- it to moving it to 18 just doesn't make sense if you're still going to only let Tom Brady, let's say, play 16. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't make sense either from a roster standpoint. You have to totally overhaul that. You know, how many are you still keeping the same number of active? Or are you still keeping the same number of reserves? I think it just changes it too much if you're still going to only allow players to play 16. But nothing would really change because teams like the Patriots would just sit Brady and James White and Sony Michelle and everybody else the first couple of games and you're pretty much talking about preseason it's the same thing yeah I guess that's the overall narrative and you know maybe if you're playing a team you know like the Jets or one of the worst teams you're like okay hey well we'll sit Brady this one but we'll keep Sony Michelle active or you know right it, it would add a lot more strategic side to it but I don't like then at it. the same time that's you're terrible. thinking well, shoot, what happens if my guy gets injured? I'm just going to play him till, you know, he's at 16, and then we'll deal with the last. You know, so there is some strategy there, but um, I'm not a fan of that. You know, let him play or don't. I mean, I, that just to put those restrictions makes no sense to me in the NFL. It All it is is just putting a, you know, lipstick on a pig. Like, it's really just rebranding the preseason. That's all this is. Right. And it's, I don't, I'm not, I'm sure, sure it's, Failed spectacularly knowing the NFL and how right. in touch they are with what the players need. But I just, I, I don't know why you would even bother. Like, why waste our time with that? That's ridiculous. I just, I, I don't think they're ever going to get to where 18 is logical. I, I I understand what the what they're trying to do with it. It's But ultimately, we talk about it all the time on this show. Follow the money. It's a money play. It's more... Tickets yep. they can sell, all that stuff. It's all profits in their pockets, and I just, it's for the, it's at the, you know, at basically you're, I mean, you're not going to pay pay the players any differently. You're nope. going to pay them the nope. same money for more work. That's not how that works. If I ask you to do three more podcasts a week, you're going to say, "Hey, pal, where's the cash?" And that just makes <laughs> sense to me, right. you know. And I just, I think like it, it's unrealistic in a lot of ways. And it's dangerous to the players, and you're just trying to squeeze more out of these guys that take a ton of risk anyway. And that's another conversation for another day on whether they truly understand the risk that they're taking or whether it matters to them. But 
regardless, it's still a risk you're taking every time you step onto that field. And I don't feel like, if, especially if you're not going to compensate them for any more, then why are like why are you even trying to gun at this? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I think to the overall point, it's more on the money side. It's more national televised games. It's more, you know, wh whether you want to see it or not, you know, preseason games aren't heavily attended. It's not really, you know, the diehard necessarily situation where you're revving up to go see, you know, an undrafted quarterback play three quarters. So, right. you know, I, I do think it's funny since we did mention, you know, Belichick and Brady. If you Google, you know, 18-game NFL season, the third story is, how it would benefit the Patriots. I mean, it just right. goes on to the fact, like, you're just, I mean, it, it doesn't do anything more than, you know, give positivity in, in, in a light for these teams that are deep, that have a better roster and better coaching staff, because obviously a team with more depth in a, at that level is just going to excel. So, I mean, it feels like putting off the inevitable, what's that going to change? Nothing. And, other reason I don't think it's going to happen is the same reason baseball doesn't shorten the MLB regular season, which they need to do for a number of reasons, but it would change too many overall stats. You know, they had a mm -hmm. tough time expanding that. You know, the Dolphins are still famously, you know, undefeated, but they didn't play, you know, the same number of games. And the NFL doesn't want to change their overall stats again on that. And I know it'd still be, hey, you can only play 16 games. But there would still be that element of, you know, it affecting coaching records, you know, players. It would just change too much, I think, for it to be implemented in a short time frame. Well, and two, like contracts that have incentives built into them and all that stuff, like all that stuff right. changes. And so, I mean, obviously it requires a change in the collective bargaining agreement. I don't think they're ever going to get anywhere close to that. No, I, it no, just seems I, ridiculous. I, I, I don't know how this got so much traction because it sounded like if you do some light reading, this wasn't necessarily as close as maybe the media is making it out to, or as big of a story as it's been. It wasn't as close as it is, but, you know, they'll continue to talk about it because they want to find a way to, you know, bring more of an attraction. So, I mean, I think if anything, the argument could be made that there needs to be less games. I mean, chop off three preseason games entirely. Run those oh, as practices, it, open practices that people can come and see. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've been a component. I don't think there needs to be more than one preseason game. These guys don't need it at this point. Sure, the younger guys do. That's great. Give them that one game. But, you know, these kids have been playing football since they've been you know, able to walk. Right. This isn't something new. You can still get the same live reps. Training camp scrimmages happen between teams every single season. You know, the, the – all the preseason as we beat into the ground here, it's about money grab and for the young guys. There's other ways to do that with preventing injuries. And here's like here here's a solution for you. Take those the time that you take those three preseason games that they waste every year and turn those into some sort of like open practice. Come and watch the you know, the Cowboys get ready for the season kind of thing. Come help show the love and get them, you know, basically help branded as like getting the team amped up being part of the action being part of the fun and what that what happens when you do that is you not only provide a good fan experience to a really lame product overall but still something that people can get excited about nonetheless on top of that you that attracts a certain family element which ingrains people into football at a younger age and again another topic for another day on whether you know kids should play football and et cetera, et cetera. But 
regardless, that just helps ingrain. Like you have to just saturate people as soon as you can with this stuff to get them hooked into the sport for life so that you can sell the merchandise and all that crap that you need to. You have to do it. Like it's just the that's how the business works. So turn that time into something that people can really get excited about. Are you telling me that, you know, take a step back. The Tennessee Titans last year did some, and I don't, I don't remember the details off how this was won, but where you could call a preseason game play okay, and for, for some fans. And I think the first play of the game that was called for the Titans was a designed run for Marcus Mariota, which <laughs> for a guy coming off an injury, having a long injury list and, as a fan, you decide, oh, this is my one opportunity. I'm going to let my franchise guy do a design QB run. I mean, it was. I think he slid down. It was like a five-yard loss. He was like, screw this. I'm not getting hurt. I'm but, going I mean, down. It, it is just things like this where the, the, the ideas that they have to get fans involved and make the preseason matter. I got to be honest. I don't watch the preseason. It's pretty tough. I'll look at box scores. I enjoy reading about it, but it is painful for me to watch people without names on the back of the jersey sometimes, people I don't know that aren't going to make the team, you know, second and third, sure. But, I mean, it is painful to sometimes watch this, and then you got fans calling the plays. for. I mean, there could be more of a mockery of the preseason than that scenario. So I don't think I knew about that story, so that's incredible, number one. But you could do the same thing at these events where, like, especially at places like the Star. I keep going back to the Cowboys just because we're here in Dallas, but... You know, sure. the the star is a great example of this giant practice facility that they've bought that seats like 40,000, something like that. Not 40,000. It's probably not that many. Yeah, it's, it's about 15, 20. They do a lot of high school football and right. they do op- they do do open practices. I right. will say that, which is awesome. And, and it's a really cool like uh, it's a great venue. But like you don't have more than 15,000 people at a preseason game. No, nah, probably not. I mean, they may say they sold 15,000 well, yeah. because I, being a season ticket holder for the Cowboys, I have to buy the preseason game for some awful reason, and I right. sell them every year for like eight dollars. Yeah, know? I mean, you can't give them away at some point. Yeah, so. you may as well just give them away. We should go to it this year, just just because. Sure, why not? Maybe <laughs> I, I forget what the. I'll look up the schedule real quick, and also headline: I will be going to the Star in Frisco next week. It is season ticket holder appreciation weekend for the Cowboys. Thank oh you boy, you are going to have to do a review of that. I want to hear some things about Jerry. <laughs> uh, Jerry better be there. He better be getting some Johnny Walker down that throat if he's going to be smiling and kissing babies. So. Him in that blue. Him in that Ooh. blue. No, I, I just I feel like they could turn this. You could do the play calling thing in some sort of fashion to where you're uh, okay, so maybe you're you're not calling it in an actual NFL game, but I mean, if you're still out there letting, you know, running Ezekiel Elliott, you know, up the middle or whatever, that's still an exciting thing for fans that you could lean into. You have to market it the right way. And that's what kills me about it is that I feel like football is really good at marketing. This is just something that they never have been able to get a grasp of. It's never been good. The product's always been so abysmal. So why even bother? Do something that's going to get the team ready and that's going to get people excited for the year. That makes it really easy yep spot on it just seems ridiculous but i i love the titan story because that is the best thing i've heard in a while it, it's the worst thing i've i've ever seen at worst awful feel bad absolutely um okay so baseball is back what are you feeling for the second half of the season 
Wow. You know, we, we dove into a little bit about this, you know, heading into the all-star break and coming out and, you know, we're, we're two weeks away, I think right on the nail on the head, two weeks out of the trade deadline. And I think you and I have spoken a little bit about this. You know, we saw Boston make a minor move acquiring Andrew Kashner and, I am beyond excited to see where these chips fall because I think we've got a tight AL race in the wild card. We've got a tight NL race in the wild card. And knowing that there's only one trade deadline this year, I think is going to be exciting. And we're going to see counter punches. We're going to see teams making big deals and then follow up right by another. I think they're going to follow the NBA from the standpoint of big names moving. And, you know, a team with a lot of, you know, players that have been talked about, you know, San Francisco. Uh, Giants have made a run. They're suddenly now three games out of the wild card. So is Madison Bumgarner even on the market anymore? This team's got you know Bochin his last year. Um, you know, will they will they move some guys? You know, we've talked about the NL a little bit, and you know the Cubs, the Brewers, the Reds. I mean, even are right in there. And um, I think we're set up as a fan standpoint for a very exciting finish. I think the past couple of years. We haven't necessarily had that. You know, it's maybe been pretty much a two-horse race for those wild card. It's just who's hosting the game. But I think from a standpoint of us looking at it as a whole, um, you know, who are maybe two teams, you know, an AL and NL that you're saying, you know, hey, if they make one or two moves, they could really jump up in the, this wild card race. Because when I'm looking at the AL, you know, when that's boiling down, I'm shocked that the Oakland A's are, you know, right there tied for a wild card spot with Cleveland right now. Yeah. And they just added a piece. Exactly. And I mean, this is a team with, you know, who has had no issue going for it. You know, you remember a few years back when they traded Addison Russell to the Cubs for John Lester. Those were the two big pieces. You know, they brought in a, you know, a wealth of talent and ended up losing in the wild card game to the Royals. Um, but, you know, Oakland's just a team where if Chris Davis can get hot, you know, unfortunately, you know, big power hitter, he has had a very off year. Uh, I love Matt Chapman, their third baseman there. I think very underrated player uh, is having, you know, a pretty good year so far. And, you know, Marcus Simeon's hitting at the top here and there. There's just a lot to like about Oakland. It's just a consistent team, and that's what we've come to see from them. And just quietly, I mean, I would not – if you asked me a month ago, will Oakland be tied for – you know, at this point in the season for a while, no, you know, especially they've had, you know, one of their top pitchers go down with a suspension for PEDs. But when I'm looking at a front office who, you know, was willing to pull the trigger, a successful team in a division that's, you know, really touch and go at some points and with Houston, you know, still battling injuries with their staff and lineup, you know, it, it seems like Houston can't really stay healthy. Uh, you know, do, do you think that's a team that we could see pretty active uh, at the deadline? I mean, you almost have to consider adding an arm there, right? Yeah, I think that's the dark horse team where if they're calling for starting pitching, you know, they got plenty of prospects to move and plenty of guys still, even at the major league level, that they may go, you know, hey, this makes sense for us to move a major league guy now. And, you know, the biggest question mark is going to be the Cleveland Indians. You know, I think the Twins will win the division, but, you know, Corey Kluber through today, this team getting healthy, Trevor Bauer has been really that popular name. You know, this is a top-of-the-rotation arm, a guy who has, you know, pitched in the playoffs at a high level. And if Cleveland's willing to go, they're not there. Let's just be frank. You know, the bullpen's a mess there outside of Brad Hand. They've had their injuries with the starting staff. 
know, Carlos Santana's had a resurgence, but you know, the lineup's not that depth. I just don't see them, even if they do make moves, being able to necessarily wear that out. They so went like twenty. They went like twenty-one and nine in June, though. Like they had oh, a yeah. really good yeah. June. Yeah, and I think that goes back to a lot of what you've talked about. This division isn't strong outside of the Twins and Indians. So yeah. when you get that run, when you're you know playing the White Sox, you're playing the Royals, it's really easy to get on a you know a good track. And so I still think you got to be realistic. It's kind of the same boat the Rangers are in. Sure, the Rangers are three games back of a wild card spot, but look at this team as a whole. You're going. I mean, there's so many holes to fill to become a playoff team. And even if you got there, do you really think you're making a run? So no, you're not. Exactly. So a team like the Rangers that, you know, has Mike Miner, has got, you know, a guy like Sin Su Chu's had a great year at the leadoff spot. Uh, you know, a few bullpen pieces like Sean Kelly, you know, guy who's proven can come in, pitch the seventh, eighth inning for you. Um, it's going to be these teams who are on the fringe. Do they decide to sell or buy? And I think that's going to really be the intriguing part of this is kind of seeing who who lets off the gas a little bit. Bees, you know, you got to be realistic at some point. And I think a team like the Rangers with John Daniels, you know, who knows he's got job security, I think will be a very active team as well as, you know, selling guys who, you know, they're not going to resign Mike Miner. So, yeah, they um, should hope so. That's for sure. I think my AL, so a, a couple of AL thoughts, and, and this will start with the obvious one. I am just furious about how things have gone in Boston this year and not even it's just the sheer arrogance of it and like we talked about it going into the year a lot that Matt Barnes wasn't going to be enough they didn't do enough and I and I did agree with that but I also kind of pushed back a lot because Tyler Thornburg was supposed to be pretty good and Carson Smith was you know like they had other people that were supposed to be better than they've been or been playing at all and yeah. I, I didn't really think they were going to miss Joe Kelly a whole lot. And he hasn't been good in, in L.A., really. He's been about the same pitcher he's always been, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even a little worse. But it hasn't really mattered for L.A., so that's you know good for them. But I just think that they've operated under a lot of arrogance, and they continue to do that. And it's like you just... I mean, every time the offense has had a hard time clicking, it's felt like, I mean, Andrew Benintendi's not had a great year. It's just felt like overall to me, they haven't been able to turn that corner and get things going. And anytime that they start to get it going and give this team a, a lead, the bullpen blows it. So it's, it, it's demoralizing for the rest of the team. And it just, it feels like there's, they're just going to have to work through it. I mean, and it may just be kind of a lost year and that's the World Series hangover. I'm not going to complain. They won 108 games last year. So I'm not, worried about it but it's just frustrating to watch because it it was off of arrogance is what it comes down to yeah it definitely was so disappointing there but then on the flip side you know the team i predicted i love what the rays have done and you know people will will think the rays are going to make a lot of moves but i'll, I'll remind you they have certainly got a lot of guys who can, they can call up yeah uh the name that no one's talking about who's had a great year before the injury is tyler glass now he was uh, the pitcher that they received along with Austin Meadows in the trade with Pittsburgh for Chris Archer. So him coming back right around that that break, or the, not the all-star break, the trade deadline is sort of like an acquisition. So, you know, you got Blake Snell, who's, you know, looked great last night. His past couple starts looks like he's finally regaining it. Sort of kind of a, I don't want to say a Cy Young hangover, but it sort of seemed that way. Uh, this is a bullpen that's getting healthy. They're getting their closer back. So I'm not sure I would necessarily look for the Rays to be making a lot of moves because I think I just think they're with the good team, shape. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think with just getting healthy and then having young guys that you feel comfortable calling up and, you know, Brandon McKay, big left-hander who was a two-way player in the minors, a hitter and pitcher, they finally said, you know, hey, let's not worry about the hitting right now. You're, you're MLB pitching ready. Uh, and he's looked fantastic. So yeah. with Glass now coming back, you suddenly got your three-headed monster. They've been great with the opener all year. Um, I think this is a really dangerous team that people don't realize, hey, you may not see them making trades, but the health is similar to bringing in guys. They remind me of Milwaukee last year. Very similar in yeah. nature. Yeah, you know, in, in a different way. Milwaukee right. had their strength as hitting. Right. Um, and that really propelled the team. And the pitching is the strength for the Rays, the Rays. where the hitting's just, hey, if it give us four or five runs, we'll, we'll take that every night. Right. So those are kind of my, I mean, that's my thoughts on Boston and like that division in general. The Yankees have been good. I figured that they would be. I, I picked them in the winning division. I stand behind that. I think I agree with you about Oakland. The NL side of things, Philly has a Gabe Kapler problem. That dude doesn't know how to manage this team. Yeah, and you've been beating this stick probably since last year. Have. Um, yep, ever since the beginning of last year. I thought he was the wrong hire to begin with, and I stand by it. Yeah, and it's been disappointing, and I, I think you know people don't want to relate it, and it's tough to say Andrew McCutcheon meant this much to the team, but he was having a great year, solidified that leadoff spot. It allowed Cesar Hernandez, their second baseman, great second baseman, to move you know in the lower lineup, help turn it over. You know, great contact hitter. You know, provides a lot you know defensively as well. So losing Odubel Herrera, you know, yep. right. So I think the Phillies, you know, they. You know, Aaron Nola's had an up and down year. He's been great of late, but you know, he kind of that Blake Snell effect where just beginning of the year was rough. Uh, Jake Arietta, for you, those who don't know, is pitching with bone spurs in his, I think, shell shoulder or elbow. One of the two. Elbow, I, think I think elbow. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and their bullpen hasn't been great. You know, David Robertson, big acquisition's been hurt pretty much all year. So you're looking at a team, your ace struggled to start the year, you lost your closer, you lost your leadoff man. Your manager's a head case, and you got a lot of pressure with Bryce Harper coming in. It just it didn't pan out. And yeah. we talked about this earlier in the year. These things don't come together. When you do all these free agent signings, trade for JT Rulamuto, whether people want to believe it or not, 162 baseball games, you have to have that continuity, and that's not there yet. Not at all. And I don't think that Kapler knows how to craft that, and that's a very tough thing for managers to do. It's It's like better managers than him have failed at it. For sure. It's not easy. No, it, it's really not to bring in a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys, too. A lot of, you know, guys, you know, in their mid, late 20s, prime of their career, want to be the guy and not being able to all mesh together. And, you know, you've seen that swing. And, you know, the division leaders right now, Atlanta Cubs and the Dodgers, I mean, that's kind of how you draw it up. I mean, those, yep. you know, we've talked about it. You know, the Braves bringing in Dallas Keuchel, I think, was huge for that team a stabilizer. So another team I think could be really active is, you know, Atlanta. They they certainly don't want to trade a lot of these young prospects, but if the deal's right, you got to do it. Team, yeah. Team is loaded. I mean, from guys playing out of position at the majors to young starting pitching going into the bullpen just cuz they, you know, can't let them work through everything right now and just even at the AAA and double A level, they're loaded up. So um, yeah. if there's a team that wants to be active and could blow everyone away, it is definitely the Braves. When I look at these NL division leaders of the Cubs, Dodgers, and Atlanta, w one does not feel like the other two, and that's the Cubs. And ultimately, I just think these two teams are much, much better than the Cubs. Just feels yeah, better. 
in, in the Cubs, you talk about being active at the deadline. I'm not sure we see much. I think Kimbrell was their move. Um, if you take a look at their pipeline and the minors, it's pretty exhausted. I mean, over the past handful of years, they've moved every young prospect they really can. Um, and, and at this point with their salary, you know, the salaries they have on the book, the lack of quality of my in. And I mean, it's not necessarily a lot of holes either. I mean, they, they hopefully will get Brandon Morrow back healthy for the bullpen. Help stabilize that. Pedro Stope and Carl Edwards. The staff, you would hope, you know, Lester, you Darvish, you hope he can turn a corner at some point. Um, it just doesn't seem like a team necessarily has a glaring hole, but you just don't have guys performing the way they need to. I definitely agree. Well, it's going to be interesting to kind of keep up with it. We're going to have lots of talk coming up to the deadline. We're going to be doing a live show, I think, to kind of talk a little bit about what's going on around the deadline. So lots of good stuff to come from SLM. So be keeping an eye on the site. Make sure to follow us on social media. That's at Sensibly Loud. That's on Instagram and Twitter. And make sure to follow Sensibly Loud Media on Facebook as well for all the latest updates. And make sure to check out the site at SensiblyLoud.com for all the latest blogs, pods, and more. And we will see you guys next week. Keep PC.